Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you. I uh, just want to say publicly uh, a word of thanks to Sean for preaching last Sunday. In my absence, I got to spend the morning over at our South Wilson campus. And it's always a joy to see the other part of the Valley Creek family. And so uh, thank you, Sean. I know he was in the first service and got a chance to thank him. And man, we've already had a time of worship with baptism and what was certainly the most beautiful picture of a father and son and uh, Caroline, where did Caroline go? Just encouraging us with our student ministry. Uh, And I will say that song, Reckless Love, it certainly reminds me that we are deserving of nothing, but our God, our Father loves us recklessly. What a powerful truth, amen? It just makes my heart uh, just so sensitive to what God has done in behalf of his love for us. Which that brings me to a bit of an awkward moment here because I'm going to transition from a powerful time of worship and a powerful time of hearing God's spirit to telling dad jokes. Yeah, it's going to be rough here for just a second. Just uh, walk with me. A tradition that I have each and every year, no matter where I'm serving, is on Father's Day to share a few dad jokes. And I tried some of these earlier, and I know some of them work and some of them don't. But I'm going to give you all that I got anyway because you're a different group, and maybe you'll find them a little bit more humorous. These are what I'm talking about. What did the baby computer call his father? Data. (laughs) They don't get much better from that one. So we'll just keep going. Why did the golfer bring a second pair of pants in case he got a hole in one? What do you call a Frenchman wearing sandals? Felipe Flop. (laughs) What do you call a line of men waiting to get haircuts? A barbecue. (laughs) That one worked the first hour. I don't know what what that says about this audience, but it certainly uh, needs to get off the list. Uh, What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. Friends, that's gold. That's gold right there. And I'm, that's my favorite of the whole list. Why did the football coach go to the bank to get his quarterback? Why did the baby strawberry cry? Because his dad was in a jam. That one's actually a bit morbid, actually a little sad. This morning, I found a a wooden shoe in our toilet. It was clogged. (laughs) What did Yoda say when he saw himself in 4K? HDMI. (laughs) Okay, that's a generational failure right there. The voice of Yoda, that was bad on my part, but come on. HDMI, that's good. That's, That's a joke. Well... I have one more, and and this goes in honor of my son who loves this joke and asks for it every single year. This is an oldie but goodie, but here we go. Uh, A husband and wife were in the bathroom getting 
ready uh, one morning and the husband stepped over to the bathroom scales and he stepped on and he sucked in everything he had and kind of brought it all in and his wife who was at the sink looked over at what he was doing and said, you know that doesn't change anything. To which he said, well, yeah, it does. Otherwise, I can't see the numbers. Come on, that's a good one. That's a keeper. That's a dad joke. That's a keeper. All right. For what it's worth, we won't do any more dad jokes this morning, but happy Father's Day to every single one of you dads. We're continuing our series in Ecclesiastes. If you have a copy of God's Word, printed copy, digital copy, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes 12. Uh, We're in the fourth part of a series called Unconventional Wisdom, looking at an unconventional book of the Old Testament that is certainly full of unconventional wisdom. And we're turning to the last chapter in this book, which we certainly see a father wanting to pass wisdom to his son. There is a father-to-son moment in the last portion of this book, And as we've said over the series, Solomon, while not named specifically, is most likely the author of this letter. And it's a father-to-son letter. It's a father-to-child letter. Solomon, the preacher, the teacher, which he'll refer to himself as, is the king, 40 years on the throne, and a following son will take that place. And so there is this desire to pass wisdom pass principles, pass important life skills from one generation to the next. And I know that many fathers, even those in this room, we have this tendency to want to pass something to the generation that is coming up. My sons tell me that I have a voice that comes out when I want to pass some life wisdom to them. And actually, when I begin that voice, they'll go, oh, It's one of these life talks, isn't it? Because apparently it has a tone. It has a sense to it that, oh, we're about to talk about important things. Listen up, you youngins. Father's about to deal some truth here. And actually, I know they're right in hearing the voice because I also hear a voice in my head. It's my dad. And his voice is in my head. And when I say things, I know I'm doing the dad voice because I say the things, the exact same things that he said. It's a generational passing, a generational giving of wisdom. Man, my dad, he's in heaven now, but uh, his way to start that talk would be, I'm going to be real honest with you. And when he said, I'm going to be real honest with you, that was the moment I was about to get some dad information. Well, that's how this feels here in Ecclesiastes 12. It's the conclusion of a lot of wisdom, a lot of guidance, but he's getting to the dad part, to the end part, to the essential part, down to the critical, most summary positions he wants his son to hear because he wants his generation to follow, to live a God-honoring life. And so he shares with him in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 9, these words. Besides being wise, the preacher, that's his reference to himself, also taught the people knowledge, 
weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings and they are given by one shepherd, my son. Beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. I want to take the position of Solomon speaking to his son and speak to you, not as your father, but as your friend and pastor. But using that context of a father to son, a father to child moment to reiterate some of the things Solomon says, because I think God our Father would pass these to us, his children, saying to us, son, daughter, God's word is the source of godly wisdom. God's word is the source of godly wisdom. Solomon wants his son to know where to look for godly counsel, godly advice, godly instruction. He wants his son to know where to look for the things that will guide him rightly in the way he ought to go. He says in verse 11, The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings and they are given by one shepherd. This is a pointing to God the shepherd, God the father, God giving these words of wisdom, these collection of sayings. He's wanting them to know where the source of godly wisdom truly is And it's in God's word. He uses two word pictures that farmers, shepherds, people in agriculture would know. They would understand what a goad is. I didn't know what a goad was. Had to look it up. A goad, I have a photo here, is an implement tool used when oxen are in the yoke, when they're plowing a field. The farmer might have this rod, a staff truly with the pointed end. And as he's riding in the plow, moving them in the lane of the field, there would be a poking, a prodding, a goading. This is where we get the expression, you're goading them on. You're goading them with this pointed staff. Because ox, particularly more aggressive types, they can go anywhere they want. Uh, One little 150-pound, 200-pound farmer is not going to tell a 1,000-pound ox where to go. I mean, these are monstrous animals. And particularly if you have them strapped together, you got more horsepower than a big F-150 truck pulling this little man in the back. If they get out of line or if they get aggressive, they decide where they go. And so this one tool, this one pointy stick is used to guide and to goad them in their direction. And and the word picture is so clear that God's word, God's inspired word guides us. It directs us. It instructs us. There's certainly foolishness. 
and wickedness and things that we have no business getting into all around us. But it's the guidance of God's word that will keep us on the straight and on the narrow and pointing to the direction that he would have us go. He mentions there's a goading that comes from the word of God. There's a picture of firmly fixed nails. Oh, years ago, my dad used to do something so fun for my brother and I over in Hancock County where we lived and grew up. Every Saturday morning, he would go to the local little biscuit and gravy, little coffee shop, and he would see if there was any farmers who needed any work to be done that day. And let me say, that would now be called child abuse because he would just hire us out for the day. You know, whatever the summer, oh my gosh, summer. I didn't have a clue where I was going every morning. I just knew he would come, put us in a truck and we would be gone. And hopefully by the end of the day, the farmer bring us home. You make a little money in the day. But one day he actually sent us out. I remember this so distinctly and we had to help tear down a barn. Now I want you to know, if you come up and look at my hands, they are not mechanics hands or farmers hands. These are baby butt soft hands. I'm a professor. I type for a living. This is what I do. I don't have the firm grip. Like I shake some of your hands out there and I know what you do for a living. You turn things and grab things and grip things. These, we just shake people's hands and, you know, pat people's backs. But even then I wasn't super strong and mechanically inclined. I didn't have those hands that could turn bolts. But my dad sent us out to help tear down this barn. And I mean, there were pieces of lumber, beams, that you needed crowbars to get the nails out of. I mean, no little back of a hammer was going to do. You had to put some meat into it, some muscle into it. And even then, some of the nails just wouldn't give. They just wouldn't let go. They had been in there probably a hundred years, maybe more. They were rusted solid, firmly, big old spikes, so you just kind of grunt on them and pull on them and wiggle on them. And eventually you just throw the piece of wood in the back of the truck and hope no one noticed. Because you couldn't get the nails out. This picture, again, an agricultural picture like goading, is of nails that are in a board so firm, so stiff, so long that they're not going anywhere, that they're not going to be moved, that they're not going to be pulled out, that they're going to be firmly fixed into this lumber. And the picture that Solomon is saying to his son is that's what God's word does in your heart if you allow it. If you allow God's instruction in your heart, it's like nails firmly fixed. And you won't notice it necessarily until life gets real hard, situations get real tough, decisions have to have godly wisdom, and then those nails that are in there will firmly guide you in what you ought to do. That's the power of God's word. It's, it's like a goading directional guide. It's like nails that have been in wood so long that they're firm and strengthened. He tells his son, beware, beware of anything beyond these. That's not to say that there's not good godly counsel in other things, in books and in studies and in journals and in self-help. I'm not saying that we ought to discard all the other things that have been written or the other things that have been produced because God's wisdom also finds its way into those things as well. But be aware, but be aware, brothers and sisters, men and women, 
God's word and all of the other writing of the world have one big difference. God's word is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It's anointed. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's not that we can't find godly wisdom out in the world. It's there. But if you want the primary source of godly wisdom, it's in God's word. And it will direct you if you allow it. It will strengthen you if you will allow it. It will guide you in the moments you need it the most, like a goad and firmly fixed nails. That's what he wants his son to know. He says in verse 13, At the end of the matter, when all has been heard, when all has been said, when all has been spoken, remember this, my son, fear God. Fear God. If you want a summary statement of all that Solomon wants his son to hear, he wants his son to know and believe and recognize there is a right place for the fear of God. Now, I hope you don't hear the word be afraid of God. Or even be terrified of God. It has nothing to do with fear as in someone scares us. Or someone spooks us. It's not that at all. The kind of fear that he's referring to here is that fear that reveres and acknowledges and honors and respects and recognizes that God exists and that God judges the living and the dead and that God rules and reigns over the universe. And I believe you would agree that kind of fear, that kind of reverence, that kind of respect and recognition is actually kind of missing these days. Would you agree? I've been at camp for two weeks now. Uh, Kid camp. I don't get to go to teenager camp. I go to kid camp. Because that's intellectually where I belong. With third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Been there for two weeks. We'll start another cycle tomorrow night. And the theme of our camp over on our campus has been wonder. Wonder. And... The reason we chose the theme wonder is because we had a sneaky suspicion and you may be on the same track that there is a generation of kids, a generation of third, fourth, fifth and sixth graders and maybe their older siblings or even their younger siblings where it's harder and harder to find a way to capture a sense of wonder and awe in the next generation. They're not impressed by much. Especially hard is it to teach and to communicate and to create in them a sense of the grandeur and splendor and majesty and power and authority of an almighty God. That, unfortunately, is lacking. So we've been spending a lot of time trying to help kiddos think about that. And one of the passages that I get to share with them is out of Psalm 97. If you still have your Bible, I want you just to turn there for a moment with me. Because I think this point connects to what Solomon is trying to say to his son. 
Psalm 97, just the first six verses says this. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and total darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes up before him and burns up his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All the peoples see his glory. I mean, this writer of this psalm is trying to think of every single way to describe the recognition and the revering and the responsible position we have in honoring God. He's fearing God because the Lord reigns. The earth rejoices. The lands rejoice. The peoples rejoice. The fire before him is real. The lighting is real. Oh, friends, when he sees the lightning across the night sky, he doesn't have a TV weatherman or meteorologist to describe electrostatic shock. In charge and positive and negative interactions in the atmosphere. When that psalm writer sees the lightning across the sky, he says that is God and his authority. That's God and his power. That's God and his might. And the whole earth sees his power. I mean, when he says the mountains melt like wax, you can imagine this psalm writer looking up at the Israel, Israelite mountain, Mount Gerizim or one of the others. And man, those aren't even real mountains. Those are just little hills in our comparison. I've seen the Grand Tetons. I've seen the Sierra Nevada. I've seen the Rocky Mountains. Those are mountains. And this psalm writer, he says, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of our God. That's power. That's authority. Like wax, it's not even like a candle. It's just melting before him. And the biggest, most strong structure that the human mind and I can see is nothing compared to our God. So there is a recognition of his presence. There is a recognition of his authority. There is a amazement at the creator. No, the angels will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is filled of his glory. But we've lost some of that. Because we make God rather small. Rather insignificant. We make God much more interested in our little lives. And therefore, we don't fear God in a proper manner. I shared this with the kiddos. If you just want a picture of the bigness of God, let's say this afternoon you got in a space shuttle, some sort of spacecraft, and you left planet Earth and you were traveling 550 miles an hour. And you didn't stop at that speed. You kept that speed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It would still take you at that speed 19 years to get to our sun. 
And that, my friends, is just in our neighborhood in the solar system. But God has created the expanded universe and the worlds that we will never see and the worlds we'll never know. And it's all under his authority and under his control. He is the creator. He is the almighty. And all of that prompts in us, it draws in us this obvious impulse to fear God, to recognize God, not to push him aside, but to recognize God is on his throne and the world is under his control. And praise be to God, we will worship him in all eternity because he is worthy of all praise that's a fear of God that's a recognition of who God is that's the heart Solomon is asking his son to take on and it's absent from our day and our time friends the life we live here on this planet is infinitesimal compared to the world we're going to experience in eternity that is going to be ruled and reigned by Almighty God. That's what he's trying to prompt in his son. Because that kind of fear is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how does he summarize it? The fear of God is a part of it. And certainly keeping his commands. Fear God and keep his commandments, he says, for this is the whole duty of man. It reminds me of what Jesus was asked once in his life. Matthew chapter 22. One of the questions that Jesus got was by a lawyer who asked him a question saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, boil it down to what's the most essential, the most important principle that we need to follow God. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That sounds like fear God. Fear God, not I'm afraid, but love him and trust him and honor him and recognize with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, recognize God's authority, recognize God's place. This is the first and great command. And the second, he says, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Fear God and keep his commandments. Let me ask you, men and women. Is it getting harder and harder to love our neighbor? To love our neighbor who might be a stranger or a foreigner or someone from a different political party. To love our neighbor who... It's not a part of our biological family, but it's a part of the human family. Jesus would even go further and say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm certain we are missing in our day and time a love of enemy and prayer for those who persecute. If anything, it's hate your enemies and bring back upon them as heavy as possible recourse and retribution. I mean, do we love those we disagree with? Do we even love those we dislike? 
Are we only able to love those who are easy to love? Those who are kind and generous to us? The call of Jesus is not to love only those who love us, but to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And I will confess, we all love ourselves a lot. But love God, fear him, keep his commands. If you do that, you will fulfill the duty of man. He says that pretty much sums it up. That pretty much brings it to a close. That pretty much draws it to an end. Fear God and keep his commands to love him with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength to love others as we love ourselves. This is the whole duty of man. Or as the New American Standard says it this way, the conclusion when everything has heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person, every single person. This is the father to son moment, the father to son instruction. And this is certainly our heavenly father's words to us, his children. Are we looking in his word as the primary source of wisdom? Do we fear him properly for he is God? And do we do our best, though we all fail, to follow his commandments? This applies to every person. Amen and amen. Would you bow your heads with me? If I could have the praise team join me here. Seems as Solomon's words of instruction are very relevant, very applicable even to this very day. Maybe there will be some here this morning that truly need to have the goading of God's word. They've drifted, taken a path of their own, They need the wisdom of God to be back on the right direction. Would you open your heart to that wisdom? Open your heart to that guidance. Maybe there are others who, like many of us in our pride and in our arrogance, we feel so great about ourselves and our abilities that we truly have lacked a proper reverence and fear of God Almighty. And in repentance and in confession, you want to acknowledge to God, not is there a fear of afraid, but a fear and a reverence for his authority and rule. Maybe there still are others this morning who have struggled to keep the commands of loving God and loving others. You know that is an area that needs to be redirected in your heart. And you just want to confess that to the Lord. Confess it and ask for His Spirit to strengthen your love for Him and your love for others around you. In just a moment, we're going to sing and I'll be here in the front. The altar is always open. If you'd like to pray, you're invited there in your seat, here in the front, however God leads. So, Father, I come to you now humbly asking us to fear you, recognize you, honor you. 
see you as who you truly are and who we truly are. And I pray, Lord, that you would have caused your spirit to rest on our hearts that which we need to follow you more, love you more, trust you more, be strengthened by wisdom that comes from you. Help us now in this time of response and allow your spirit to move. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.